Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It's Sunday, September 13th, and we are presenting the second part of our interview with Cal Newport. He is an academic. He is an author. Two books that I really loved of his. One is called Deep Work, and the other is called Digital Minimalism. And that is the book that he came to talk to us about when he was in the studios about a year and a half ago. One of the things that Cal emphasized way back when was that when we look at our digital diet, it's important to include both streaming and video games. Here's the second half of our interview with Cal Newport. So now I want to talk about the principles of digital minimalism, starting with one of my favorite things, which is you quantify it and you say clutter is costly. Yeah. And explain that. Right. Well, I mean, if we take a step back, what is minimalism asking you to do? What it's asking you to do essentially is wipe the slate clean of all of this haphazard junk that you've added into your personal digital life for arbitrary reasons. Wipe it clean, get rid of it all, and then carefully rebuild it from scratch. Except for when you rebuild it from scratch, you just put in the big ROI, the big wins, big ROI options, right? Right. Selective, intentional use of technology that now you're choosing very specifically. This is going to help something I really value. This is going to help something I really value. This doesn't, so I'm going to ignore it, right? That's classic minimalism. Now, the question is, why does that work? Because it does mean that you have to miss out on things that could bring you some small value or convenience. Right. Focusing on just the big wins, you're ignoring the small wins. So why do you end up net net better off. Well, one of the reasons is this first principle is that the clutter itself has a big negative cost. And so we're used to this in the physical clutter space, that if I'm a hoarder, that so my house is overflowing with all this junk. It's true that if you point to any one thing in my house, I could give you some reason why I might need that newspaper from 1985. Whatever, that was a good year. I might want to remember it. But obviously, the overall negative cost of having my house be so overcluttered far outweighs even the sum of all those small pieces of value. Mm. Well, it's the same thing in your digital life. You have all these things on your phone. They're all clamoring for your attention. You have some explanation for each. Here's the reason why I downloaded that, or here's what I could do with this. But the overall negative cost of having your attention constantly being pulled at, constantly being manipulated, could far outweigh the sum of all those little benefits they bring you. So the first thing I did after I read the book was I deleted all social media from my phone. And then I'm like, okay, not missing it at all. And what about if you are... If you find yourself really, it's like incapable. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who are corporate people and they say like, well, look, it's the expectation is that I have to check my phone all the time. And then once I check for work, I'm now then dragged into this other world. How, how can we help those folks? Yeah, you have to try to break those bridges where you can. 
I mean, one of the things that's very common among almost any digital minimalist tech setup is that their phones are incredibly simplistic. They have very few things on their phone. They would never, for example, even if they had a need for social media, some specific thing for work or this or that, they would never have it on their phone because mm. they don't want that portal, that always odd constant companion model. Digital minimalists are very old school in the ways that if they need to use Instagram or something like this, it's on their desktop at home and they do it just occasionally, you know. Uh, so they dub down their phones a lot so that you've broken these bridges. So I have to go on there to check if I have an email from my law firm. Cannot easily then change into, and so as long as I'm here, I better see what the latest baseball trade rumors are. And now, okay, now I really, this guy really has it wrong. So I have to really let him know that yes. he's, he's completely undervaluing Bryce Harper. And then you go off and, the, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Now you're down that rabbit now hole. Now you're down you're the done. rabbit hole. You're so you, you got to fill in the rabbit holes, basically. And the phone is where most of them live. So once you realize that you have um, that clutter is costly, you say that optimization is important. That is principle number two of digital minimalism. Can you explain that? Right. So what minimalists do is after they make these intentional selections, this is the tech I'm going to use my personal life. Here's the big win I want to get out of it. They don't stop at the binary question of what. They also ask how and when. And this is where they really start to get the big win. So they want to say, well, how am I going to use this technology? And when am I going to use this technology? And so this is where you get these setups, like I was just saying, where, well, it's not on their phone. Maybe it's just on their desktop. And maybe they very severely curate their experience and they have schedules around it. And so like, an example I give in the book is that I worked with a lot of visual artists who told me, okay, Instagram passes this test of this is important for something I really value because if you're a visual artist, you need to have a constant stream of creative input. That's the grist, right, into the mill of, of creative output. And Instagram is a great place for that because a lot of artists post images of their work. And so the minimalists who go through this process who are artists and say, okay, so I do need Instagram, when they do the how and the when question, they completely re-engineer their experience with Instagram. And so, for example, they'll often curate who they follow down to maybe, let's say, 10 artists. They'll take it off the phone. They'll put it on the desktop. They'll have a schedule, which is like, this is what I do Sunday morning. I spend 20 minutes to see what's been posted by these artists over the past week. They're getting 99% of the deep value out of the service, and now they're avoiding 99% of the cost. So that's the optimization piece of being a minimalist, and it, it really does help push you in the big win category. And the thing that I thought was really cool is as you talk about going on your 30-day digital purge is that, you know, obviously just don't, you're saying like, don't go cold turkey and then bring it all back. It's really about thinking, what have I missed? And what am I going to replace this with? I have always been a physical book book person. And even, I mean, I, I try to Kindle for five seconds and and even an iPad, but I always like holding a physical book. And I think the reason I really like it is I feel like I'm immersed in it. And that when there's technology that's underlying it, then I can be distracted quite easily. What is it that people are bringing back into their lives that they hadn't thought about in a while that will help them bridge the gap between what they had and what they will have? Well, analog leisure is a big part of what people rediscover when they do this 30-day declutter. And by the way, I use the term declutter very specifically instead of detox, because to me, it's this mystery the way that the digital community has appropriated this term detox, it's a, a real perversion of the actual meaning of this term, right? It comes out of the substance abuse community where a detox was you, you break the sort of addictive compulsion to use something as the first step towards building a new life that doesn't have this in it anymore. And yet in the digital community, we have this weird notion of a detox where like, okay, here's the idea. We take a break. 
they go back to what we were doing before, which baffles people who are used to this term from before. And so I use the term declutter because it's not about taking a break. It's about completely changing. So during this 30-day process where you're away from basically all of these technologies before you rebuild your life, analog leisure is one of the big things that people report back to me. When you think about the the minimalism, you also include you, not only YouTube, but streaming media. And I found that interesting because I was like, hmm, wh- why is that? Because is that just because of the binging? Yeah, actually, my readers are the ones who push that on to me. Huh. So when I did this original experiment, I had a list. Okay, here's what I mean by technologies in your personal life. And I didn't have streaming media on it. Because I don't know, to me, it was kind of confusing, like, is it TV or not TV? I mean, we have it come through our TV, and it's sort of, I mean, is that the same as TV? It's kind of the same thing. And, and I have three young kids. We don't watch a lot of TV. I mean, we don't have a lot of free time. So it didn't really occur to me. But the two pushbacks I got was, you need to add streaming media to it. And it was because of the binging. People yeah. were using this as a way to not have to actually engage with the world or themselves or their own thoughts. And then video games. Oh, That right, wasn't right, on my right, radar right. at all, but a lot of young men wrote in and said, that has to be on this list. So those are the two things that I learned uh, are having a big effect in people's lives that I didn't even really realize about. If you're not a binger, should you still strip that away? Yeah, you don't have to. I mean, my, my original rules is like if you're someone like me, like my wife and I might watch 30 minutes of TV a night or something like that mm-hmm. if we have time. I didn't see that as being particularly troublesome. Uh, but people who are younger than me who had more downtime, let's say, that were filling it more with streaming media, they wanted the bad they'd pulled off. Though I got a clever hack that I would say four or five different readers came up with the same thing, which is they had a rule about streaming media during this period where it wasn't that they couldn't watch it, but the rule was they could only watch it if they're with someone else. Yeah, I, I noticed that, that yeah. there was like, if I'm by myself, I mean, sort of fall prey to that urge to keep going. Something. Yeah. But if I'm with someone else, then it's this just is fun. like a social, I'm with someone else for watching a show, it's social. So I, I think that was a good compromise for a lot of people. That's excellent. Um, what about the group of these young, uh, of these younger people who are prone to having more anxiety and that the suicide rate is up. And I'd heard that, but when I just, I don't know why, it just struck me as I read it and the way you put it in context yeah. to me, so awful and depressing. And what can we do to actually snap out of that horrible downward spiral? Well, the good news is there is a lot of pushback happening. I mean, essentially what has happened with that young generation, Generation Z, is that the data is starting to get so stark that it's now crossing into the public health crisis territory. And now the signal is beginning stronger as the literature has become more robust, is that we are seeing a sharp rise in anxiety and anxiety-related disorders, as well as the corresponding hospitalizations for self-harm and suicide attempts, which is what tells us this is not a self-reporting effect Mm. among that generation. And it's a hockey stick graph. If you're looking at uh, year board and incidents of these anxiety-anxiety-related disorders, the corresponding hospitalizations, it's like right at this point that it became standard for someone who was young to have a smartphone, it really rises really, really fast. I'm hoping that your book and more of the research that comes out is really going to prompt people to have these conversations. Although there was only one thing that I really had, I had a pain in my belly when you said it, which is, you know, I walk my dogs a ton, so I'm out and I walk and it's great. But I think you don't approve of the fact that I listen to podcasts while I do that. Well, I'm not I'm not anti-podcast. So you, you could definitely listen to podcasts, but the key is to have sometimes when you're not. I know. That's what I'm going to do more. Solitude. Yes, Time yes, alone yes. with your own thoughts. You don't have to always be alone with your own thoughts because then you're lonely. Bit Franklin wrote about this and went back and found it in his uh, journals, right? And he talked about solitude is crucial. 
But if you do too much of it, you're going to be very unhappy. So you, you, you can't do no solitude. If you're never alone with your own thoughts, it's problematic. On the other hand, if you're always alone with your own thoughts, like in solitary confinement, that's not so great either. So so I, I give you dispensation Some to listen podcast. to the podcast. But I can cut down a little bit. I yeah. think that's okay. Okay. Cal Newport, before you leave, when we started, I said your best financial or career decision, you said was actually going to grad school, going into academia. What was your worst? Oh, oh, probably the amount of student loads I took on as an undergraduate. Mm. I didn't really think much about it. No, why would you? Yeah, yeah. Now, fortunately, this worked out okay. <laughs> this book writing <laughs> thing, I was able to, I was able to pay those back. But, but yeah, I mean, the, it was so casual. I mean, it still is now, but it was so casual back then. I know. Like, yeah, here's somebody. It's fine. Don't worry about it. If you want to read more about Cal Newport or buy his book, just head to the website jillonmoney.com. And if you have a financial question, you can always ask it from that place. Remember, jillonmoney.com, the contact button. As always, we want to remind you to please wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing, and put your hands metaphorically on someone's back. Try to do something nice for somebody else. We'll catch up with you tomorrow when we are back in the saddle answering your questions. Until then, have a great day.